of our solutions, family, partners, and friends. Que pasa, mi amigos? The summer solstice has now come and gone, and officially days are slowly already getting shorter. The next thing we'll ask ourselves about is, where did I get these tan lines, and what happened this summer? Well, welcome back once again to the Smart Acid Podcast. This is your host, Andy Erickson, and I'm here with proof that the almighty creator, whoever he or she was, must have only liked common-looking people, and that is the sole reason why the creator only made one true Adonis, the heartbreaker. The rest of us are just plebeians in his playground of life. Heartbreaker, man, how are you holding up these days? Andy, I'm doing great. The playground's a blast. That's great. That's great. Hey, anything exciting going on? Anything around like a thousand? Rumor has it that we passed over the thousand download threshold. Damn right we did, people. Anyway, Heartbreaker, about the time the critics said we couldn't make a podcast any more exciting, we're going out on a limb and totally outdoing ourselves. That's right, folks. Today, we're going not to just talk about chemicals. We're going to combine the talking of chemicals and taxes. Whoo! Willing to bet parents might use this episode as a way to put their children to sleep. Smart Acids, officially the new trip to fan of 2022. So Andy and our loyal listeners, before we start the discussion today, our corporate team asked me to remind everybody that the opinions and insight provided on today's call by our guest experts do not represent legal nor tax advice in any way, shape, or form. Let's get at it. All right, the Smart Assets team is stepping way outside our swim lane with our next guest. As we have never been or will ever be a team that throws shade on anyone, I can potentially understand why some people may throw shade his way. Two people you never want as a visitor. One is the Reaper, the second is the Tax Man. Fortunately for us today, that's exactly who we have here in the studio, Brian the Tax Man Ritzenthaler. Brian, man, welcome to the show. Really appreciate you joining us today. How are you holding up these days? Very good, Andy. No, uh, no problems, happy to be here. Great, great. All right, before we get into this, at what point in your life did you decide a career in taxes was the answer? That's actually kind of a, a funny story. Back in uh, 1991, I was on vacation and I missed a meeting. And when I came back, taxes was mine. And that is the absolute truth. That's how I got into taxes. <laughs> and do your parents and family still love you? Yeah, my wife, mostly. But everyone else, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's great. <laughs> all joking aside, our listeners understand taxes, and they understand the form that we all have to complete called the 1040, I mean, which pretty much means we keep 10 and the government takes 40. But can you provide a high-level overview of the Superfund tax and kind of the origin behind this tax? Sure. So back in the 80s and 90s, uh, there was a lot of concern on environmental uh, waste and factories and big um, chemical and oil refineries just leaving devastating waste all over the country. So Congress instituted the first Superfund tax uh, on specific chemicals in order to raise funds to specifically clean up these environmental waste sites. That tax uh, had a sunset, and in the mid to late 90s, it, it went away. Uh, the money was used to clean up a lot of those sites. Some of them still remain, but on the whole, it was a good uh, source of revenue for a specific cause, and um, it, it served its purpose, so it, it, it went away. In the last few years, the uh, U.S. Treasury Congress was looking for ways to make some more money 
to spend on the things they wanted to spend it on. And they said, hey, we have this old tax. Why don't we just dust it off and double the rate and reinstitute it? And that's effectively what they did. So it's on the same base chemicals. Uh, the rates are double what they used to be. Uh, but it is no longer specific to environmental waste sites. It's just going into the general fund for Congress to spend as it wishes. So that's sort of the short-term history of it. Awesome, Brian. Um, thanks for joining us again. So let's maybe pivot to a question related from our kind of our customer consumer perspective. So you know, what should they expect in relationship from the tax year? And maybe a secondary question as I understand it, I believe there's a potential different impact if someone is importing product versus buying from a domestic producer or domestic uh, distributor. So can you walk us through both of those scenarios, please? Sure. The, the tax, there's actually two taxes, as you, you said. One is on the domestic manufacturer of what they call listed chemicals, baseline substances. There's 42 of them. And if you're a domestic manufacturer and you make any one of these 42 chemicals, you have an obligation to pay the tax the first time you sell it, first time you use it for your own processes or sell it to another party. The problem with that is you can import products that were made with those 42 chemicals and you would be bypassing this tax that the domestic manufacturers have to pay. So it would be hurting the domestic uh, manufacturers. So Congress instituted the second tax said, if you import something that's made up of at least 50% in the original law of these 42 chemicals, you also owe the tax. That 50% composition test has been lowered to 20%. So under the current law, if you import anything that contains 20% or more of these original 42 base chemicals, you owe the tax on import. You are treated as if you manufactured them. So what you do by importing it yourself is you step into the shoes of the manufacturer and you have all the reporting obligations that a manufacturer would have. And those reporting obligations are onerous. They require that you make payments twice monthly on any amounts that you would owe and, and report quarterly and true them up quarterly. It is a monumental exercise in documentation and tracing and everything else. It is a big lift. So as an importer of these, again, to summarize it in its most basic, as an importer, you step into the shoes of the manufacturer and assume all of the same obligations that a domestic manufacturer would have. And people say chemicals aren't sexy. <laughs> yeah. Only when you combine them with tax. There is a list of those chemistries, but that is not all encompassing. Is that correct? That is correct. So... Um, if a domestic manufacturer believes that its market is being penetrated through imports at, that are avoiding the tax, they can petition the IRS to get them added to the list, and uh, the IRS will make a determination based on that petition. So this 42 chemicals, baseline chemicals, and 151 currently taxable substances, that second list of 151 could and most likely will grow uh, as time passes. So there's a lot of documentation, a lot of administration, a lot of follow-up work on maintaining the proper tax on these items. 
Awesome. Thanks for clarifying, Brian. I really appreciate that. We like to ask our guests kind of a parting shot question. So here, here's yours. If there was one thing you'd want a listener to take away from this conversation, what would that be? The text as it's currently written, the, the second iteration of it is scheduled to sunset uh, at 2030. Uh, but I would say that it probably won't. Um, once Congress gets their hands on a source of funds, it's unlikely that they'll just give it back. So uh, I would say that the Superfund tax is here to stay, and it's going to be in the pricing of the chemicals and chemical industry for years and years and years to come. Awesome. Really appreciate it, Brian. Hopefully everybody's still awake. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) You want to clear out a party, I'm your guy. continuing on with the theme of stepping way outside our swim lane for guests here on the SA Pod, if you don't think we're having fun talking to the tax man, we're now going to bring in the Senior International Trade Compliance Manager, Katrina, the Warden Warnick, who's going to further break down the Superfund tax from a compliance standpoint. We're really cooking with gas now, party people. Katrina, before we get into all these juicy details, would you be able to provide us a little background on who the Warden really is? The Warden... I think I'm going to love that nickname around here. Um, I've been in compliance and working to streamline business operations for almost two decades. I try not to have a black and white view, so hopefully the conversation today will be able to dig into some of those gray areas that a lot of business operators are out there looking for. Awesome, awesome. All right, let's get into it. From a trade compliance standpoint, who is on the hook for this super fun tax? Yep. So it depends on whether it's the chemicals or the substances. If you're looking at the first list of chemicals, it's going to be the U.S. producer or manufacturer that's going to be on the hook as soon as they use that chemical or sell it. The importer of record that may be bringing in those chemicals are also going to be responsible for paying those excise taxes. If you're looking at substances, though, because the substances are already produced, then obviously they're being imported. So it's only the importer of record that's responsible for those excise taxes. Awesome, Katrina. So maybe following up on that question, looking at the details of the specific chemicals in list one and substances in list two, are both of those lists all encompassing as written? Yeah. So this is one of those hard to understand areas. Um, If you're already in chemicals, the term of CAS numbers is something very familiar to you, but it's not very familiar to our government agencies. So what they've done with list one is they've listed 42 chemical names. So it's not just the 42 chemicals, it's the various families that are associated with each one of them. So you really need to understand what you're manufacturing or what you're importing. As far as the substances go, there's 151 listed, and you really have to understand the various components that are in those substances. And you also have to be aware of any other substance not listed that may contain at least 20% or more of one of the chemicals on the first list. Add to that, the substance list is allowed to grow at any time. That's intriguing and certainly leaves it open to interpretation at some level. So Two quick follow-up questions, if you don't mind. The first is, how does that list two grow if it does? You mentioned that it could. How does that occur? Yep. So 
It could be another importer, producer, or manufacturer that petitions the addition of a particular substance, or in collaboration with the EPA and their input, they may want to add or agree to remove one of those substances. The determination really revolves around why we have these lists in the first place, which is around toxic substances. So if you know you're handling something that's toxic, that's harmful to the environment, that could lead to a super fun cleanup site, and it's not on one of these lists, you may want to prepare for it being added at some point in the future. Awesome. Thanks for clarifying. Interested in your opinion here. What is one thing you would want our listeners to take away from this conversation around the super fun tax? Yeah, compliance is yours. This is not something as an importer that you should be looking to your customs broker to take care of for you. When you import these products, the expectation is you know what you're doing and you are flagging and identifying to the government, hey, I know I have to pay this tax and I'm going to pay it. A customs broker typically will tell you if something you're importing is subject to a government regulation. Uh, One example, when you import food, if you didn't know it was a food ingredient, typically your broker will raise their hand and say, hey, we need some extra information. The reason why the broker can do that is there's a flag on the tariff code. So when they enter the tariff code into their software system, a little alert pops up and says, hey, this is subject to the FDA. That does not exist for these excise taxes. You can partner with your broker, you can get information from them, but do not rely on them to keep you compliant with these taxes. All right, Warden, if our customer was looking to gather more information around the Superfund tax, where should they go? Well, one of the more interesting publications that I've come across is the American Chemistry Council basically did an analysis on the potential economic impact. Um, So they used historic data from back in the 90s, and then they also used a variety of economic models to put together this analysis. It's pretty recent. They just wrapped it up in 2021. I think it's a good resource for considerations that you may not be thinking of right now that you want to prepare your organization for in the future. In addition to that, you know, consider other perspectives. What's the goal of this excise tax? It's to help reduce the negative impact on our environment of toxic substances and harmful chemicals. So if you think about what the goal is, then you know where the taxes are going to continue to target. So another option might be using your packaging to raise consumer awareness. It helps them partner with you. They might understand the larger costs. And then there's also the long game. You know, responsible parties are supposed to be paying for the cleanup of these sites. And historically, only about 30% of them actually can come up with the money before they even go out of business. So what can you do as an organization to improve that situation so responsible parties start to pay more of their fair share and it's not offloaded to us and the consumers as much as it is through this excise tax? Awesome. Great advice, Katrina, and I really appreciate the insight and all the details here around who's involved and who's on the hook as we asked with our first question. So appreciate your time. Yep. Thank you for having me. All right, everybody, that concludes this month's version of the podcast. As always, we'd like to thank all of our listeners for taking the time to join us and all of our guests to provide us all of the deep and rich insights into today's exciting topic. Thanks for meandering down the road, the fun world of chemicals combined with tax. Have a good one. 
Smart Acids, breaking things down for the chemicals and specialty ingredients market, one born at a time. Smart Acids is part of the Univar Solutions Podcast Network.